Welcome to the Theology Mom Podcast, hosted by theologian Krista Bontrager. Each week, Krista provides practical teaching to help everyday Christians gain a deeper understanding of their faith. And now, here's Krista. Happy Monday, everyone, and I want to thank you for joining me today. I am Krista Bontrager, and I am a Christian theologian and public apologist. And this is the channel where I offer teaching about the Bible and theological commentary on social issues. And today I'm going to be doing a teaching uh, with a lot of visuals. So this is a pre-recorded podcast. Too many things could go wrong for a live podcast, but I do want to give a shout out and a big thank you and a hand clap to my husband, Bob, for um, always editing my podcast and trying to help me put my best foot forward, especially when I have a lot of visuals. <laughs> People, we appreciate him. Um, but today I'm going to be talking about a topic that I've been actually wanting to do this podcast for a really long time. And when I say a really long time, it's probably like a year or more. And you might recall that about a year and a half ago, Monique and I did what we called a super stream with our friends, Elisa Childers and Natasha Crane, expressing some of our concerns about the orange curriculum. And I have continued to offer review and commentary and analysis on a variety of subjects related to the Orange curriculum. I did a series of three videos um, analyzing kind of a weekly lesson, how they're training students to handle and interpret the Bible and apply the Bible. So you can find all of those past episodes on the Theology Mom YouTube channel. My friend Elizabeth Urbanovitz has also recently done a podcast related to the Orange curriculum, and so you'll want to check that out. Um, so just, and we're not, you know, we're, we're really looking at Orange because it's so influential. I mean, allegedly, according to their website, you know, they reach like, I don't know, thousands of churches a week. I think it's 10,000 or a million students a year or something like that. These are big numbers. They're very influential. They're very well financed. And um, a lot of churches use them. And yet we have some concerns. And you can weigh out those concerns for yourself. Maybe you feel like, meh, I'm not concerned about this. That's fine. Um, I'm not here to bind your conscience to tell you what you must do or to tell your children's pastor or your youth pastor what you must do. But I am here to offer a perspective based on my 30 years of experience as a Bible educator, as well as a theologian. And I, I do have some, some issues and I've tried to highlight those things and in a fair in offering that analysis and commentary. But again, this is all opinion. You, you've got to weigh all of this out for yourself. Well, today I want to focus on another aspect of the Orange curriculum. And again, my point here is not just to, to be unfair in, in sandbag them. It's just to offer some commentary and some analysis based on my experience in another realm, um, not just in how to interpret the Bible, but in matters of race and justice. I am the co-founder of the Center for Biblical Unity. You can check us out at centerforbiblicalunity.com. And here's some perspectives on what my ministry partner, Monique Dusan and I had to say about issues of race, racism, and justice. But I want to do it through the lens today of thinking about the Orange curriculum as, and I want to use it as an example. That That's my primary thing, is about a year and a half ago, Back in April of 2022, I did a blog post, and it's posted on the Center for Biblical Unity website. It's called, Which BIPOC Voices Should I Follow? And the acronym of BIPOC refers to Black Indigenous People of Color. And this was really my first attempt to try to explain what I see happening in a lot of Christian spaces, and that there are really two models of race and racism. And it was prompted by a tweet 
that caught my attention is asking the question, who are the Christian BIPOC voices that you look to for wisdom and truth on the regular, both here and on Instagram? And I want to show you the, the responses. So this is an example, number one of the responses. And it was people like Issa McCauley and Eric Mason, Charlie Dates, Mika Edmondson, Christina Edmondson, um, Akemini Uwan, Kyle James Howard, and um, Dante Stewart. So this is just a few. You can see their Twitter handles here. But then there were other posts that had names like this of Bodie Bauckham and Sam Say and Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker and um, Monique Dusan and Ariel Bavat, Neil Shenvey and Delano Squires. These are two very different lists. And in this post, what I attempt to outline is kind of 10 questions that are being asked in public spaces. And then I share that really there are two models out there in churches, Christian schools, um, Christian ministries, when it comes to race and racism. Not all Christians see these matters the same way. And that we need a competition of ideas in order to, to measure out, you know, which is biblically faithful and to sharpen one another. I have learned a lot by listening to people on the other side of the conversation. They've challenged me some things I would agree with them on, and there's many things that I disagree with them on. I some some of them I, I would consider their beliefs heterodox, and and but I, I you know I still see them. I try to see them as brothers and sisters in Christ in most cases. But some of the questions that we might answer, you know, what is race? What is racism? What is the fundamental problem behind racial division? Who can be racist? And I went through this blog post and I just tried to answer the question according to both models, okay? And so, again, I did that about a year and a half ago. And what I want to use today is the Orange Curriculum as an illustration or as a test case for the racial reconciliation model and how to detect when the racial reconciliation model is in play. Now, the model that Monique and I hold to, we call the biblical unity model. Um, the racial reconciliation model is a different model. And I would encourage you to go check out the blog post if you want to have summary on both of the models. But the reason I'm doing this is because many people, just Christians, just go to a website and they start using the resources because the website is a Christian website. They just think the perspective must be Christian, not knowing, not being aware that there are actually two models floating around our churches, Christian schools, and ministries. And I want to use the orange curriculum as a test case, as an example, to be able to spot or to recognize when the racial reconciliation model is in play. Okay, so that's kind of the big picture of what we're up to in this podcast and what we're going to be doing today. Where I want to start is back in June of 2020, and this is sort of at the height of George Floyd, the CEO at that time of the Orange Curriculum, a gentleman named Reggie Joyner, who, again, I would consider to be a brother in the Lord. I think I have some sharp differences with him on certain issues and what the ground of our unity is. But I'm sure that there are some things that we could sit down and talk about and, and find agreement on. But he released a blog post, and it's available. This is a live website. This is not a screen cap as of right now. Um, is called On Race Equality in the Church. Let's get it right this time. And again, Reggie Joyner at that time was the CEO of Orange. And he has a very short blog post here. But what's what's really of interest to me, and this is where I want to train you and teach you to how to be discerning, is when you scroll down, it's when he starts recommending resources, Okay. This is where you start to understand what a person's point of view is, which of the two models 
that that person is adhering to, okay? So we immediately see Latasha Morrison from Be the Bridge. In fact, Be the Bridge is a book that is sold by Orange. Not only is it just listed at the end of a blog post as a recommended source, Orange is so believes in the position of Latasha Morrison and the Be the Bridge approach, they sell the book, okay? And notice right on the cover, it says, uh, Pursuing God's Heart for Racial Reconciliation. That's the subtitle of the Be the Bridge book. This is, in a way, kind of a one of the key books in the canon for the racial reconciliation approach. And that ought to give you a tip-off of which of the two models an entity is using. So if you see that your kid's Christian school or um, your church or your pastor or your favorite ministry that you donate your hard-earned dollars to, and if they are recommending Be the Bridge, I want you to understand what side of the conversation that they are on. Okay, so looking at these resources is very, very important. Here's another one. Albert Tate, we're going to talk more about him in just a couple of minutes, but another key voice in the conversation. In fact, Al Tate is an advisor to Biola University. He's a multi-time chapel speaker at Biola, and he is definitely an important and influential voice in the conversation about race. But again, he is coming at the conversation from the racial reconciliation perspective. All right. Now, notice here the voices that you're not seeing. You're not seeing the voices in example number two here of um, in the blog post. You're not seeing Vody Bauckham, Sam Say, Sam Say, Daryl Harrison, Virgil Walker, uh, Neil Shenvey, Monique Toussaint. You're not seeing those names in this list. You are seeing names on the other side of the conversation. Okay. Now, all of these uh, may not be equally bought in to the racial reconciliation model, but they definitely lean in that direction, okay? Um, Also, somewhat concerning for me is, for example, T.D. Jakes. T.D. Jakes is, as far as I know, I could be wrong, send me some receipts if you've got them. As far as I know, T.D. Jakes is a oneness Pentecostal. Oneness Pentecostals deny the Trinity. If you don't have the Trinity, you don't have Christianity, okay? But many people are confused about this point. And so I would personally never recommend a resource by T.D. Jakes for a number of reasons, but most foundationally because I, my understanding is that he denies the Trinity. He's, not, he's outside of the faith, okay? So... Again, I just want to draw your attention to resources. Pay close attention, slow your scroll. When somebody is recommending a resource, stop, look, and do some research on who those people are. What side of the conversation are they on? Okay, my second example, roughly around this same time, about a month later, Orange did a live stream with Dr. Tony Evans. Now, Dr. Evans is one of these um, people that I call kind of middle of the road people. They have some ideas that are more congruent with the biblical unity model. They're very sound, very similar to things that Monique and I say, but then sometimes they use terminology that sounds more like the racial reconciliation model. And Tony Evans is one of those people. I call him kind of the in-betweeners. I call him the bubble people. They're sort of on the bubble of both positions. And so I want to play for you a couple clips from a Facebook Live that they did on July the 7th, 2020. And again, this is on, this is a live. Um, What you're going to see here is live. It's not a screen cap. It's not a download, so it's there as I am recording this right now. It is on the official Orange Leaders uh, Facebook stream. And we're going to go right into this. We're not going to watch the whole thing, but I just want to play a couple of clips for you. We're going to start at about 21 minutes and 27 seconds into it. 
So if you want to go back and take a look at it for yourself, you can you can do that. Um, Dr. Evans, I want to go back to something that you just said in a, a moment ago. You know, a couple of years ago, there was uh, a letter that was signed by a little, it was like about 4,000 pastors. And uh, it was titled, A Statement on Social Justice and the Gospel. And, uh, you know, I read through it. It was very long, very lengthy. Um, and it said many things. I want to quote a specific section. Just real quick, this statement on social justice and the gospel was something spearheaded that Vody Bauckham helped to spearhead um, a number of years ago. I think it was a, maybe comes at, in at 2018 or so. So a couple of years before George Floyd, a lot of pastors signed it. So Tony Evans is going to give some commentary on a line from that statement. For those who have not read it, um, and it said, we reject any teaching that encourages racial groups to view themselves as privileged oppressors or entitled victims of oppression. While we are to weep with those who weep, we deny that a person's feelings of offense or oppression necessarily prove that someone else is guilty of sinful behaviors, oppression, or prejudice. And for the record, I think that Monique and I would generally agree with that statement on, on that sentiment. Okay, let's continue. The letter went on to say, we emphatically deny that lectures on social issues or activism aimed at reshaping the wider culture are as vital to the life and health of the church as the preaching of the gospel and the exposition of scripture. As, as a theologian. Okay, now I wanna take, um, I wanna draw our attention to something there. The statement did not say that talking about social issues is not important or that it shouldn't be done. It was simply trying to set up a hierarchy of priorities and saying the gospel is more important in the hierarchy of priorities than preaching about social issues, okay? Notice that careful wording. This is equivalent to what Jesus says in his ministry, like, what will it profit a man to gain the whole world or lose his soul? You know, um, the poor you will always have among us. That that the, These are issues, it, Jesus is not saying that teaching about the application of God's word to social issues is unimportant or shouldn't be done. Rather, he's simply establishing a hierarchy of priority that is more important to preach the gospel and get someone saved than it is to change systems. Okay, just a note of clarity. Now let's listen to Dr. Evans' response. Uh, Dr. Evans, You've lived your entire life, I believe, at the intersection of the gospel and race by virtue of being a black man. Would you please help us help us unpack this? How does this land with you? Well, what, what that what that says to me, going back to what I mentioned a moment ago, is they do not clearly understand the whole counsel of God. <laughs> what they what they were articulating is that there should be a division between what, what that makes them is heavenly minded and of no earthly good, except when the issue affects them, like abortion or like uh, uh, certain other, other uh, issues of gay marriage. Uh, when the issue affects them socially, then you get a moral majority. I mean, you get, you get actual movements led by the church, okay? Okay, but I, I think that Dr. Evans, with all due respect to him, is falling into a bit of a straw man. The statement, again, was not saying, don't talk about the application of the Bible to social issues, rather it's just stating a hierarchy. Now, I will um, ag quickly agree with Dr. Evans that we do as a people, I don't think this is a black-white issue, I think it's a people issue. We as a people have a tendency to, to agree with the issues of justice that most directly impact us as individuals. And so... If, if race is an issue that really impacts you, you're going to have a lot of energy around that and, and you're going to want to defend that, talk about that and all of that sort of a thing. But if an issue related to pro being pro-life or standing for the unborn or um, connecting work with um, help for the poor, um, transgender issues, human trafficking, we tend to gravitate toward those issues that we care about as individuals and as communities. I think that's normal. I don't think that's a black-white issue. I think that's a people issue. I think we all do that. 
So what they what they do is pick and choose mm -hmm. the relevancy of scripture to social issues as long as it doesn't hit on race. Because once it hits on race, it becomes self-condemning. Mm. Want to be self-condemned, and therefore they want to disassociate with it. The problem is there are so many scriptures in the Bible that deal directly with the issue of race. Okay, again, with all due respect to Dr. Evans, I cannot think of one passage in scripture that deals with race. Race is a modern construct that comes out of the Enlightenment. Now, perhaps I want to give him deference. Perhaps he means ethnicity. Perhaps he's collapsing ethnicity with race. But there is no verse in the Bible that talks about skin color or skin hierarchies or anything of that nature, which is directly connected to the modern concept of race and race being a social construct. But I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. Perhaps he's using the wrong word, but perhaps he's collapsing race and ethnicity. The biggest verse on our identity in Christ is Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, as Christ who lives in me. The life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, loved and gave himself for me. Well, that verse comes at the end of a race story mm -hmm. where Paul has to correct Peter for his racism. And then he quotes the- Again, with all due respect to Dr. Evans, it's not a race passage. It's not a, the, the modern concept of race comes out of the Enlightenment. It's a social construct. It's about a hierarchy of melanin and colorism and all this sort of things. Dr. Evans is, and I want to say this as respectfully as I can, because he might listen to this podcast, but I want to, I want to suggest for him to try on the idea that race and ethnicity are not the same thing. And the problem between Peter and Paul about the ethnicity of the Jews is not equivalent or the same as the modern concept, uh, conversation about race. And then he quotes to Peter that verse. So you'll have white Christians who quote that verse, but will leave the racism out that created the need for the verse in the first place. So this whole counsel of God has been missing, which has allowed the culture to proceed with racism and the church blink an eye at it when it is taking place. Okay, so I'm I'm not going to give commentary to this whole video. I just wanted to play that clip as an example of a suggested resource, a resource that's on the Orange website so that you can hear kind of what the other side of the conversation has to say. Now, Monique and I would, would not deny that racism can be a problem, but much like the statement on social justice, we would agree that it, it needs evidence. Um, feelings of oppression is not the same things as evidence of oppression. Now, I, I think we would want to quickly agree with Dr. Evans that in issues of racism should be examined, um, ethnic partiality should be examined in light of scripture and all of that sort of a thing. Okay, um, I'm going to play one more clip from Dr. Evans in this conversation. There's a lot of clips that I could play, but I'm just going to pick one. I'm going to fast forward us to 29 minutes into it. And again, I would encourage you, if you want to go watch this, hopefully they don't take it down after I do this stream, but um, you could go watch the whole thing in context. So we're going to hear a little bit more from this conversation. Um, I, I want to ask you, Pastor, uh, actually, I'll start with Dr. Evans first. Um, if you could sit down with every white Christian for a conversation, let's say that they all came over to your house uh, and they just wanted to hear from you, uh, what would you want them to know? I would want them to know racism is real. I would define it for them. I agree with him. Racism can be real. Now, I think Dr. Evans and I and Monique and I would disagree with Dr. Evans that it's pervasive in every system and structure. I don't know where he at, is at with that question. We might have to have some conversation about defining it, but we are not racism deniers, and I want to make that very clear. Structures that promote racial injustice are also real. I would Again, we would agree. And, but I, I don't know where we would disagree with Dr. Evans on this. Does he believe that people of color can also create structures 
that show favoritism according to ethnicity and disadvantage people according to ethnicity. Is that possible? Could we have a conversation about structures that target, for example, Asians to disadvantage them in college admissions? Could we have a conversation about structures that um, target white faculty and do not allow them to sometimes get tenure in the same way as other minority faculty? Could we have a conversation that structures could create partiality or favoritism or disadvantage other groups, that, that it's a universal problem. All groups are capable of creating a, a, a partial structure and all groups are capable of being t- targets of ethnic partiality. I would love to have that conversation with Dr. Evans and to find out where he's at with that. To find that for them. But then I would explain to them That does not mean every white person is a racist. And I would distinguish being part of a structure where you may not be racist, but you haven't been anti-racist to the structure. And here again, he's using a little bit of a confusing term. I don't know if he's using the word anti-racist in the Ibrahim X. Kendi sense. He doesn't define it. He doesn't define racism in this context, but... Um, you know, I, I'm just asking some questions and I'm trying to teach you to ask some questions. When you hear the word anti-racism, you got to pause the conversation and ask what is meant by that. Are we just talking about being against racism or are we talking about the project like Ibrahim X. Kindi of either you are racist or you're anti-racist? There is no in-between and to be anti-racist is to deplatform white people to take away power from white people and redistribute power. What are we talking about? Then I would go on to explain to them, if you have dealt with your own racial issues, you do no longer operate out of white guilt. That is an illegitimate way to operate. You now operate out of moral obligation and love. Again, a lot of things are being unsaid here, and this is where the racial reconciliation side of the conversation gets tricky is, well, what are those works that the white person must do? Dr. Evans isn't explaining what that is. A lot is being unsaid here. There's a lot of assumptions being made. Just drawing your attention to that. And I would distinguish being part of a structure where you may not be racist, but you haven't been anti-racist to the structure. Then I would go on to explain to them, if you have dealt with your own racial issues, you do no longer operate out of white guilt. That is an illegitimate way to operate. You now operate out of moral obligation and love. Whenever you are operating out of white guilt, that is a never ending scenario because people can always tell you about what you did yesterday. But if you've repented and you're right with God, there's still an obligation, but it's not driven by guilt. It's driven by love. So this is a, this is a tough um, tough issue because what's being unsaid here is really the crux of the whole matter is what are those works that we must do by love? And are those biblically defined? Are they culturally defined? What is that? And so what I want to draw your attention to here is, again, this is our second example. Our first example was a blog post by the CEO Uh, Reggie Joyner, about racism. And this is how we know what side of the conversation, which model is a particular ministry, church, group, school putting forward to you, your children? How are they discipling you? Okay. How do you discern that? When you hear words like Dr. Tony Evans, which is our second example here of how Orange wants to disciple us and disciple our kids, this is the kind of wording that you hear on the racial reconciliation side of the conversation. Now, if you wanna um, hear some more of this kind of wording, you can watch this live stream featuring Al Tate, who I mentioned earlier. He is a pastor locally here near my house in Southern California. 
allegedly, I think he has like the largest multi-ethnic church in the country. I don't, I haven't verified that. I haven't counted that, but I think that's the claim um, with the CEO, Reggie Joyner. And they have another conversation about race. And this one was from June 11th, 2020. So shortly after Reggie Joyner's um, blog post that came out. So you can check that out. And so if you want to hear what racial reconciliation, what that side of the conversation sounds like, I would encourage you to go take the time to go watch these videos and you can hear some of their buzzwords and how they talk and all of that. And then you can switch over and hear Monique talk on a family meeting or on hear Monique and Kevin talk on Offcode and um, just start to notice how they're different. You can check out my blog post, again, which BIPOC voices should I follow? And I, I do believe I have a podcast version of this blog post as well that you can listen to that would be um, a good complement to this conversation. So then this brings us to the question of has Orange changed since 2020? This is three years ago. Maybe they've evolved. Maybe they've changed their position. Maybe they're no longer pushing some Christian version of anti-racism that more closely resembles Ibrahim X. Kendi, this racial reconciliation model. Well, let's look at a more recent example. This is a live, uh, again, a live post as of January the 7th, 2023, so the year that we are in, okay? It's a post entitled Resources on Racism. Every leader should watch. Notice the moral language there. Every leader should watch, read, and share. So what are they still recommending? Are they still recommending these kinds of voices like Reggie Joyner recommended back in June of 2020? Let's see. Maybe they've changed. Maybe they've changed to being more on the biblical unity side of the conversation. Maybe they're 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 recommending these types of resources like Bodhi and Sam Say and Daryl Harrison, et cetera, Monique Dussant. Well, right off the bat, we see here um, celebrate Black History. So that makes sense. Oh, it's February. It's Black History Month. Oh, okay. That's why they're having this focus. They've got Desmond Tutu there who... Um, was a fairly progressive Anglican bishop in South Africa. You know, many people like to quote him, but his theology was fairly progressive. Yeah, they believe he's a universalist and that sort of a thing. But Orange is promoting him. They have a big picture of him. And um, it says this blog was originally published in 2020, but has been updated. Great. Let's see what their resources are. And they encourage people to keep coming back. We will continue to update this post. Now, this is important. Racial reconciliation and biblical unity all talk about loving our neighbors. We heard Dr. Tony Evans talking about love and how love compels us to do X, Y, Z. The question is, how are we defining love? What is contained in the behaviors of love? This is vitally important. We can't just assume that we know what love is. Um, we have to pull the curtain back a little bit and inspect what does this person mean by love? What are the behaviors that are involved in that love? Well, they say that we are called to be a bridge relationally, racially, and demographically. Maybe. I think that's a big claim. There's no Bible verses that are given, so I don't know where they're getting that claim. Um, it's an interesting claim. But when you see a claim like this and there's no scriptural support, you know, I, it's a question mark for me. How they're characterizing it is uncomfortable, confusing, and frustrating. So they're setting me up from the beginning. And this is how the racial reconciliation side sets up the conversation is if you're feeling uncomfortable, confused, and frustrated, then you are on the right track. You, they set you up from the beginning that this should be your expectation. The end goal is empathy. And you must pause your own preferences and opinions. Now, there is some truth to that. You know, you want to be able to um, kind of hold intention, your your own uh, 
preferences and opinions and prejudices as you listen to someone else make their case. You have to be able to ask questions. That's good. But at some point, we have to figure out what is our standard? What is our authority? How are we going to arbitrate between these things? What we don't do is determine truth simply based on someone's ethnicity. So what would it look like to do that? We would suspend our biases, our judgments, and our opinions. I can't do that always. I can't suspend every judgment or every bias because I have to admit, I am sort of biased by the Bible. I do tend to use the Bible as my standard to make judgments and form my opinions. Now, that's not to say I'm claiming to have perfect understanding of the Bible. This is why I like to dialogue with people of different positions. But I'm always asking them, well, what is, how did you arrive at that conclusion? What is your biblical case for that? How rigorous is that biblical case? And all of that. It is critical for all of us, especially white leaders, to learn from black leaders. Okay, now here is where Orange is really tipping their hand. One of the pillars of critical race theory is that there's a prioritization of listening to the stories of people of color and for white people to be silent, to listen. All of this wording indicates to me that they are promoting the model of racial reconciliation and not what Monique and I call biblical unity. Here's a question. Why? Why is it critical for us, especially white leaders, to learn from black leaders? Shouldn't we all, as the body of Christ, learn from each other? Doesn't every culture have something to share? Doesn't every every ethnicity have something to add to a conversation? And don't we want to weigh all of those opinions according to the, the standard of scripture? Why is it critical for white leaders to do something and black leaders to do something else? I don't think I buy this premise. I don't think I'm persuaded of this premise, but this premise does show to me that we are on the racial reconciliation side of the conversation. Okay, now orange represents over 50 denominations. Many are predominantly white. Now, why is this important? Because if you reach out to orange, this is usually their standard example of why their theology is so general and what I would characterize as kind of vague. It's because that they'll tell you, well, we, we reach a lot of denominations, so we can't really put out distinctives. But yet on the race conversation, they have a lot of distinctives, which I find very interesting. Okay, now let's look at their resources. This is where it gets very interesting. Here's Latasha Morrison's book again. But here are some other books that I want to make you aware of. They are recommending, now remember the wording at the top. Every leader should watch, read, and share. So they are recommending Ibrahim X. Kendi, How to Be an Anti-Racist, as a should read. Now, I might say you should read it, but I think you should read it for probably different reasons than Orange is saying you should read it. I think you should read Kendi because he's an important and influential voice who's shaping along the conversation, and you need to know the other side of the conversation. Not because I agree with him. I kind of get the feeling that Orange agrees with him, but that would be my question to them. How to be an anti-racist isn't anything close to a Christian book nor is it compatible with historic Christianity. Also want to draw your attention here to I'm Still Here by Austin Channing Brown. Another book that I would say is highly secular, but more than secular, it contains ideas which are antithetical or in contradiction to the historic Christian worldview. All right, then they give some Netflix recommendations. I'll just let leave those. I can't comment on everything. I don't want this video to be three hours long. I do want to draw your attention to a movie that they recommend, The Hate You Give. I think it's interesting. They don't recommend the book. The book has a lot of swearing and sexual content, but The Hate You Give is a book that is very popular in middle schools and early high schools, even in Christian schools. Go read Monique's complete commentary on The Hate You Give on the CFBU website. 
Um, she doesn't review the movie, but you need to be familiar with this, especially if you have teenage kids at home. You're going to want to be familiar with the book, The Hate You Give. Monique has an extended discussion of that on the CFBU website. Okay, links to learn. Be the bridge. That has caught my attention. The Whiteness Intensive Course. They also promote a podcast, an interview with Ibrahim X. Kindi. Um, lots of, there's Al Tate again. Shinway Williams is a, is a frequent speaker uh, at the Orange Conference. T.D. Jakes is there again. This is pretty much a repaint of the list that was on the Reggie Joyner article. Oh, I um, was curious about this Be the Bridge Whiteness Intensive course. It's not on their website anymore, but thanks to the Wayback Machine, we can take a look at it. Now, listening, learning, listening, and doing the work. This is language from the racial reconciliation side of the conversation. When you hear these words, it often means, it's often a signal that you are in the framework, in the paradigm of racial reconciliation. And when you hear words such as privilege, okay, identity, supremacy, fragility, okay, and they want to offer guidance on raising white children, only white children, be the Bridge claims to be a Christian ministry. Why are there special rules for white children? My question for them would be, what is your biblical warrant for that? I struggle with that because when I read the words of Paul, it seems like all of the commands are for all of the people. Um, I struggle with that. So you can go through the sessions. The sessions are, you know, includes sessions on white fragility, white culture, white supremacy, white privilege, white identity, parenting white kids, and my favorite tips for white bridge builders. Okay, this is called 16 Bridge Building Tips for White People and is published by the Be the Bridge, Moving Towards Racial Reconciliation. So again, this is some of the language that will alert you to let you know that you are within the racial reconciliation framework. Don't expect people of color to be your only education about race. Don't take up too much metaphorical space in the conversation. In other words, white people don't talk so much. Um, don't explain white spine, and that's basically explaining racism to a person of color. Don't make the conversation about you. In other words, don't use examples about how you've been injured by race, racial issues. But Monique's favorite is... Um, Number 11, tip number 11, do not chastise people of color or dismiss their language because they express their grief, fear, or anger in ways that you deem inappropriate. Understand that historically, we white people have silenced voices of dissent and lament with our cultural idol of niceness. Well, there could be some truth to that. Monique and I have talked about the cultural idol of niceness. But notice the description here, what they mean. Provide space for people of color to wail, cuss, or even yell at you. Really? Is this is this seem consistent to you with the Christian injunction in Ephesians 4 and verses 1 to 3 of bearing with one another in patience and humility, and this is how we maintain our unity in Christ? I'm not sure this is healthy. I have questions about this, but this is the kind of language that you will see and it will alert you that you are in the racial reconciliation side of the conversation. So what we can see in this little very brief survey of the resources, the articles, the videos on the Orange website is that they are really only platforming one side of the conversation. With the possible exception of Dr. Tony Evans, I think we would have some agreement with him on some issues. I've read his newest version of his book, Oneness Embrace. A lot of it I agree with, some points I don't, and they were brought up, the areas where I diverged from him were um, brought up in the fuller video that we saw. But 
I think what you what I want you to understand is that there are these two models that are floating around Christian spaces when it comes to talking about race and racism, the racial reconciliation model and the biblical unity model. All right. There are two sets of voices. So just saying what what people of color should I follow is not the right question. The orange curriculum is clearly platforming people on one side of the conversation and leaving out voices on the other side of the conversation. They are not including those voices as being valued. So the issue is not listening to people of color. The issue is listening to people of color who have a certain one particular point of view on the conversation about race and racism. One view is favored. And if that's your view too, then cool. That's your view. I just want people to be aware and have a level of understanding to recognize these words, to recognize when the racial reconciliation model is in view, and to build out the concerns that Monique and I and Elisa and Natasha have about the Orange Curriculum a bit more. And again, these are our opinions. This is analysis. You have to do your own research and study about these issues. And I encourage you to do that. I'm going to give you one more brief case study, and that is Right Now Media. I don't know if you're familiar with Right Now Media, but a lot of churches have subscriptions to this service that is called Right Now Media. And Right Now Media bills itself as sort of a Christian Netflix. I don't know if that's the best way to, to think about it, but it does provide a lot of content for churches and small groups, um, teaching that people can use instantaneously in their small groups. Your church gets the subscription and you can just browse your life away <laughs> with um, teaching. And you can see some of the people they've got here, J.D. Greer, um, Dr. Tony Evans, Francis Chan, Jenny Allen. Jenny Allen, I believe, is the founder of the If Gathering and all of that, okay? But what we have to know here is that when it comes to the race conversation, there, there, first of all, there's a lot of good content on Right Now Media. My friend Natasha Crane is on there. Our friend Jim Wallace is on there, the cold case detective. So I'm not here to pan all the content on Right Now Media as being somehow heterodox or, or you know, unsound. Some of it is sound. But again, here's where you have to use discernment. And when it comes to the race conversation, much like Orange, they are featuring only pretty much one side of the conversation. Here's Be the Bridge again. Latasha Morrison. Is this looking familiar? Jamar Tisby, The Color of Compromise. They have his whole series on there. Again, one side of the conversation. His second book, How to Fight Racism, is also on there. And he's in the racial reconciliation stream. And in my opinion, he he used to work for Abraham X. Kendi briefly for about a year. But, um, you know, he is pushing kind of a Christian version of anti-racism. Uh, Brian Loritz, also a frequent speaker at Biola, um, was on staff at J.D. Greer's church. Here, Matt Chandler is also featured promoting his series, Brian Loritz is very similar to Al Tate. Um, but this, you're not going to find on here Monique Dusant or the Just Thinking podcast or Sam Say. These mega platforms are not platforming the biblical unity side of the conversation. They make it appear as though the Christian position is the reconciliation, racial reconciliation side of the conversation. When, truth of fact, there is a different model. There is a second model. And that is really what our book is about at the Center for Biblical Unity. Our book that is coming out in February is to highlight these two models and to try to begin to build our case for what we call biblical unity. Now, Monique and I want to encourage you, if you want to go on Amazon, you can find our book. It's already available on pre-order. It's coming out the first week of February. 
So far, you can get the paperback and the audio version on pre-order. I assume Kindle will be forthcoming from the publisher. But, you know, these are the reason I want to point this out is because so many people, so many Christian leaders aren't even aware that there are two models. And we go through the common questions on race and racism related to that. And we answer them both from both models. We do our best. It's not perfect, but we're trying to change the conversation. Because as of right now, oftentimes only one side of the discussion is featured. And as a result, many people think there is only one side of the conversation, that racial reconciliation is the biblical view. With that, I hope you found this teaching helpful and practical. Um, And I hope also you'll consider pre-ordering our book, Walking in Unity, Biblical Answers to Questions about Race and Racism. Please share this podcast with a friend, your pastor, uh, Christian school administrator, elders in your church, your youth pastor, your children's pastor, um, leaders at the ministry where you send your hard-earned dollars for donations. Please share this podcast along with the the other podcast of, you know, which BIPOC voices should I follow? It's a good pairing to put together. And um, I hope you found it helpful. I do hope you will send me some feedback about this. Let me know what you found helpful about it and additional questions you may have. I might feature those in an upcoming podcast. Thank you for listening and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the Theology Mom podcast and add your review. You can also follow Krista at Theology Mom on Facebook and YouTube. Join Krista for more theology adventures on the All The Things Show, co-hosted with Monique Dusan. Thanks for listening.